Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, episode 84. Well, that was intense. <laughs> Thank you for listening. It's March 2nd, 2022. Spring is in the air. The birds are chirping. It's uh, The sun has just started to come up here in central Washington. The snow is gone. Bijou the cat is back enjoying the backyard and other delights out there in the real world, in the, in the fresh air, and uh, I'm right along with him. I'm ready to get out there and resume enjoying geology, learning new geology, sharing the geology with whoever is interested in celebrating all that's out there. But, uh, you know, early March is always a favorite time of the year for me anyway, maybe the most favorite time. We're done with winter. I'm not a huge fan of winter. We're done with the darkness. We're going to change our clocks back, uh, I guess, next weekend, whatever, week and a half from now. So it's all positive. There's college basketball to enjoy. On and on and on. Great time of the year. Hope you can feel this uh, emergence. Plus, not to talk about uh, current events necessarily, but it's hard to know, but it feels like this is a, a, a reemergence from essentially two years of being uh, full of restrictions with the global pandemic. So that's an added bonus of are we really going to be able to uh, be out there enjoying things as we as we did for decades and decades. I hope so, and uh, I sincerely hope that for everybody. Today's episode, I think, is part of my process, if you don't mind being part part of it with me, part of my process to just kind of turn the page from what I have been doing the last four months uh, to just kind of um, getting some things firing in my brain about what I want to do this spring, summer, and fall. So, of course, I'm talking about this uh, YouTube live stream series that uh, took a lot of my time uh, from November to February, and that was the plan. I needed something to do. Uh, I needed a structure. I needed uh, to stay uh, current and productive and I needed to continue to put things out. It's all me, me, me. It's all it's all selfish. And if you happen to catch the last 10-15 minutes of session Z, where I had uh, Mike Eddy, Bob Miller, and Stacia Gordon all on screen with me, uh, that was a couple weeks ago now. And um, I signed off with them and then I kind of just talked to the viewers one-on-one, even did some singing. <laughs> But the, the, the idea was I wanted to uh, talk about what's next. And that's kind of what I want to do here. Looking back to what I was doing this winter a little bit more thoroughly than I did before with you. Because it's been a while, right? It's been, it's been more than a month since I've visited with you here with the radio episodes. And then, especially if you're in the Pacific Northwest, uh, to give you a couple of heads up to things that I have in mind for this spring, summer, and fall. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is if you saw that sign-off from Session Z, you know some of this, but I hope to add a little bit of detail here as well. Okay, so I don't have to go back and start from scratch. 
You already know the basics if you've heard the last two or three episodes, which were sporadic because I was I was uh, kind of all consumed with this crazy Eocene A to Z live stream series on YouTube. Video programs that had a live audience, and there was a special geologist, a special guest geologist that was brought in live for each show. So I don't have to go back and talk about the the beginnings of that, or uh, I, I, I've... I checked in with you Christmas time a couple of times, and then it must have been uh, mid-January the last time I visited with you. So, basically, can I comment on the last month or so of the series, uh, what was going on? Maybe you'd be interested in checking in a, with a couple of those video episodes if you haven't seen them yet. Uh, but again, I think what I'm doing is just kind of trying to put a little nice bow on this for myself so that I can just make this transition completely to looking forward instead of looking back. Um, <laughs> it's one of those that um, when you're in it, when you're in the routine, when you're, when you're putting you know, most of your spare time into a project, you can maybe relate to this. It's, it's, uh, it's energizing. It's fun. It doesn't feel super exhausting because you're just, you know, chipping away at, at whatever's coming in the next few days. And the, the series uh, was, uh, you know, a, a new live show every Wednesday and every Saturday. So, you know, there's just a handful of days in between these sessions. And many of them I was starting from scratch. So you're reading some science papers. You're doing some thinking. You're doing logistical stuff. You're organizing with the guests. In other words, making sure that we test the technology and do that sort of thing. And then, yeah, even the mundane stuff like uh, posting a thumbnail for the next YouTube uh, live stream and posting on social media and all this. My, my point is when you're in it, it doesn't feel overwhelming, at least for me. You just kind of, you know, you know the rhythm of it and you just kind of keep rolling. But what I want to say here is that uh, when I signed off, Two, I'll just say two weeks ago. When I signed off two weeks ago, um, I just unplugged. I pl unplugged from everything. I was still spending much of my time at school working with students and all that and advising and maybe even some things I neglected because I was so busy with the YouTube series. But the the main thing that I, I, I kind of want to report is that I, I just totally unplugged from all this outreach and all this YouTube stuff and everything else. And um, it felt good, but at the same time, I was kind of realizing that, um, you know, it did take a lot out of me. I'm not, I'm not whining now. I'm just kind of reporting uh, what's been going on lately. So um, it, I, I was very proud of those shows. Um, and I'll comment a little bit more about them, but uh, it's just now, after a couple of weeks of being away, that I've I've kind of uh, found a a new groove and started to, to to think ahead. So you know, basically, I I think I was kind of on empty without totally realizing it. All right. Well, so since I'm trying to just kind of turn the page mentally uh, to the next few chapters of what's going on, let me uh, continue to look back, if you don't mind. Um, since that Carr and Siglock show, and I know that's the last episode we did, I, I reported a, a high point where we had a live guest from the south of France, and she was talking about her work, and there was a one technical glitch, but otherwise uh, I thought that was an excellent uh, 
experience. I know, I know it was for me personally, and I think it was for the for the viewers as well. Since that time, we got heavily into igneous rocks, magmas of different generations, and of course, I didn't do any prep for this, so let me. I'll probably forget a few shows, but. The second half of January, there were essentially four shows that were devoted to these uh, quote-unquote chalice magmas, these Eocene magmas. And the biggest question that I had uh, and kept coming up was, what is the tectonic scenario that created these Eocene magmas? Because they're chaotically spread across the Pacific Northwest and even as far east as the Dakotas. We're talking about plutonic and volcanic igneous rocks essentially between 53 and 43 million years ago. And in the literature and in many people's minds, maybe your minds, if you've thought about uh, igneous rocks in the American West and the Pacific Northwest of that vintage Maybe you just without thinking about it, or maybe you have thought about it, you're just like, oh, obviously those are subduction-generated magmas. Well, I think, I think that's one major takeaway from late January, that it's, uh, it's harder and harder to make a subduction case for those magmas, for these Eocene magmas that are um, blobs all over the place in the U.S. and, and up into British Columbia as well. So I had Jeff Tepper back from University of Puget Sound talking about his detailed geochemistry and detailed dating of the magmas in eastern Washington. I'm going to forget this now, but I think the next show we went into Idaho and talked to my former advisor Dave Rogers at Idaho State University, and he had to do some work on his own to... Um, get up to speed with the research, but he he did a nice job. And not only we were talking about the Idaho Batholith and other Eocene magmas that are overprinting essentially the Idaho Batholith, but he was also getting me thinking about the end of the Laramide orogeny, the beginning of this Eocene extension event at 53 million years ago. That was a big moment. Then we went to British Columbia and and visited with Robinson Cecil from California State Northridge. But she's done all of her work up in British Columbia with the Coast Mountains Batholith. And then we uh, finished thinking about those magmas in Montana with Caleb Scarberry, a former student here at Central who is now uh, at the Montana Bureau of Mines in Butte, Montana. So those four shows kind of worked nicely together and we were just chasing those magmas around. Now you're thinking, well, why did, why did you go Idaho, Idaho, then British Columbia, then Montana? Wouldn't it make more sense to just go Idaho and then Montana? Of course it would have. But we're working with people's schedules. You know, not everybody's available at each of these dates. And so, you know, logistically, things are, you know, my, my hand is kind of played for me in some cases. But I think it worked. And when you talk to each of these folks, you can, first of all, get a sense on what they have learned on their own through their own work or what they've kept up with reading. But also, it's interesting to me that you can feel how current they are. And if they're current, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're getting away from subduction. 
And if we go back earlier than the Eocene, then, then we are talking about some subduction stuff. So, as I'm telling you about late January with these magmas of different generations, I'm also thinking about the last show where I was circling back to the North Cascades and talking specifically with the Dream Team and saying, okay, well, we've got these different generation of magmas now, and I was putting them on the spot. I think they were okay with it. I was like, okay, these Eocene magmas in the North Cascades these magmas that are between 53 and 43. Is anybody loving the idea that they're subduction related, that we have a subducting ocean plate? And Bob Miller, who's been thinking about this for 45 plus years, said, yeah, until recently, everybody assumed in his world, and he knows the, the work better than anybody, half the work is his. He said, we, we called it the chalice arc. We assumed that there was a line of volcanics uh, that are were tied to subduction of an ocean plate. But Really, in the last 10 years, there's been a kind of a major breakthrough, I think it's fair to say, uh, almost a confluence of new ideas that are all kind of happening at the same time, where we're seeing that it's not a simple subduction story. And to me, that's very exciting. And my hope this spring, summer, and fall, okay, I'm already cheating and going ahead to talking about what I want to talk about in the future with you here in a few minutes, uh, as I visit some of these volcanic or plutonic units, I'm going to be constantly thinking about subduction or not. And if it's not subduction, what is what, what is it? Well, that got us to the next... Um, mm, no. Um, so you're waiting for... Well, if you're saying that these Eocene magmas across the Pacific Northwest are not a subduction story, first of all, does everybody agree with that? I think a majority now see it that way, if they're carefully looking and reading uh, these papers and, and looking at this data. I think that is the message. Not everybody, though. Some are still holding on to the idea that we had a chalice arc, meaning that, that we had some sort of volcanic arc, meaning subduction of some sort of mysterious ocean plate. But I think what I'm saying is, when I go to some of these Eocene magmas, I know that it's at least possible, maybe probable now, that those Eocene magmas are created by a slab window, meaning we have a subducting spreading ridge. That is a enticing idea. I know we've talked about it before with the radio episodes. And if you subduct a spreading ridge, that means you're subducting a divergent plate boundary, which means you're not subducting an ocean plate right at that triple junction, inland of that triple junction. And that means that you're creating some magmas in a completely different way. You're not generating magmas from a subducting oceanic plate. You're subducting magmas in this gap or this window or this space where we don't have subduction right there, but we have subduction to the north and we have subduction to the south. So that, that's, not in, that's not in the mainstream yet, and I, I think we're getting closer and closer to making that the mainstream message. Whether the goal is to be mainstream or not, I don't know. But I find it very interesting. And it does bear on uh, looking at the Golden Horn Pluton or the Cooper Mountain Pluton or the Duncan Hill Pluton or the Railroad Creek Pluton in the North Cascades. But that wasn't the end of the alphabet series. Still just looking back to the last month or so of these shows. 
In February, we turned our lonely eyes to metamorphic core complexes, which felt at first maybe like a huge departure, but it turns out that it fed right into this emerging slab window story, although things get a little bit fuzzier now, I gotta say. So we started learning about metamorphic core complexes with Stacia Gordon, who's part of this current grant that I'm uh, involved with, with the North Cascades. Really enjoyed that conversation. So we were in the North Cascades, in other words, thinking about uh, the crystalline core. And she was reluctant to call the crystalline core, in other words, the high mountains, the heart of the North Cascades. She was reluctant to call that a metamorphic core complex, but we did see ultimately with these shows in February, last month in other words, um, we did see that there was some striking similarities between the Shushwap metamorphic core complex up in British Columbia and the exposed, uplifted metamorphic rocks in the core of the North Cascades, otherwise known as the crystalline core. The timing of uplift, um, the kinds of rocks being exposed, etc. So without going back into the gory details of those, I, I think those shows worked nicely together as well. So there was Stacia Gordon, and then a different show with Chris Mattinson, who was in my building up in his office. So it was a virtual visit with a guy who was one floor above me on a Saturday morning. So Stacia and Chris, both of those shows dealt with the crystalline core of the Chelan block of the North Cascades. And then we left the North Cascades and uh, started talking about metamorphic core complexes in Montana and northeastern Washington with Tekla Harms at Amherst University. And she was involved in a radical, um, mm, she was involved in a couple of big papers 40 years ago in the early 1980s where people were realizing that the metamorphic core complexes that were originally thought of as compressional were actually extensional, that you needed low-angle detachment faults instead of um, low-angle thrust faults uh, to create those geometries. And she was in the middle of that, and uh, it was uh, really exciting to talk to her. I didn't know her before. And then, gosh, what did we do after that? Oh, boy. Were we still with metamorphic core complexes? I guess, oh, I should have looked this up. Sorry. Um, I'm forgetting a show, I guess, in there. But uh, in the last few letters, uh, we came back to Basil Tickoff one more time. And he was tying those uh, metamorphic core complexes together regionally. And then we finished with the North Cascades Dream Team episode, where we took all that we'd learned across the Pacific Northwest and brought it back locally uh, to the North Cascades. I'm hesitating because I know I'm forgetting one show. Boy, can't do it. Okay, so um, it was a tremendous growth experience for me not only with the geology, but with the technology. And uh, I announced that I'm taking a break from the live stream series. So if you're sick of hearing about these YouTube live streams, good news for you. It's not happening until November, <laughs> eight months from now. 
so I like the format, and I made this announcement at the end of Session Z that I am fully committed to doing another Alphabet live stream series, 26 shows in other words, starting in mid-November of 2022 and going through mid-February of 2023. And the topic will be Baja BC. Some of you know that concept, that topic. Uh, I've talked about it off and on in this radio series. And it's still a marginal uh, movement, shall we say. It's 50 years old, Baja BC, but it has not been carefully thought of or it feels still among most geologists like it's just an afterthought, like nobody's really thought that carefully about it. And so at this point, I think my goal is just to, in my own little way, getting that concept into more people's minds, not only the uh, growing audience on YouTube, which is terrific, of course, but among the geologists. I think that's what I want to say as I wrap up my recollections of this past winter. The goal has never been clear. In other words, I don't have major objectives with this stuff. I just do it because it sounds like it would be fun and energizing and satisfying to do a series of programs. And up until this winter... That's mostly just been me and the YouTube audience. There hasn't really been much interaction with the geologists themselves. So maybe the biggest thing I will remember from this past winter is that kind of suddenly I'm now in the world of the geologists. And you're like, well, of course you've been in geology your whole career. What are you talking about? Well, I'm a teacher. I teach 100-level stuff, mostly. I make videos just kind of on the side. I mean, it's part of my job, but it really just feels like it's the stuff I like to do for fun. And I haven't really done much intense collaboration with active research people. Well, this, that changed when I was invited to be part of the North Cascades Research Project, which I've talked about probably too much for your taste. But things have clicked up another notch now where the geologists are watching these shows, partly because their friend was interviewed and they want to see what, how their friend did, and then maybe they'll be part of this at some point. But in a few cases, uh, what we're doing with the YouTube series is actually shedding some light or uh, opening up new ideas and helping influence the direction of the research just a little bit. And that is that was never the plan. Uh, but it's starting to become that. And um, I don't think I'm going to change what I'm doing. I don't think I'm going to... Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not going to change what I'm doing. I'm just going to continue to do what feels right um, and is enjoyable. But if this continues to head in the direction that it has the last few months, uh, I'm. it's more of an inside, inside geology thing, like an inside baseball thing or a peek behind the curtain. And these, these folks are interacting with each other 
and dealing with each other much more than they were before because they're now familiar by watching these shows, if that makes any sense. For instance, Chris Mattinson just last week said, hey, I just did a Skype session or whatever, Zoom thing with, uh, with Caleb Scarberry. I didn't even know him. And, uh, you know, we're comparing notes on, on some of our work. So that kind of thing is, is uh, tremendously satisfying. But the, 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 the intention is still just to, I guess, please myself and at the same time, hopefully, please the people who are tuning in. And uh, the, the audience continues to grow. Once people find us, and that's maybe you too, once, once you find this YouTube channel, um, typically people stick around. Now, I'm, I'm getting away from specifics about the, the intensity of that uh, series, but I'll say a couple final things. Uh, that was hard stuff. Uh, it was hard to keep track of what was going on. It was, uh, you know, I'm listening as careful as I can as I'm talking to these uh, uh, geologists who are with us live. I'm not planning a, a lot ahead of time, so I'm just trying to be as spontaneous as possible. But I know that the content is very complicated, and I know that for many, I don't really know how many, but I know for some, they just stopped. They just, I, this, is, this is like, what is this, geology 450, or is this some graduate level whatever? I'm just, I can't do this. I'm not that interested, to be honest. And if that is you, if you're listening to these radio episodes because you're a busy person, you don't have time to sit down and watch videos, but if you did, you certainly are, are not that into geology where you're going to sit and talk about the crystal and core for two hours, you know. I totally understand. And so that's our transition. And that's what I'm currently kind of doing right now. There's more to the Pacific Northwest geology. There's more than Washington geology than just the North Cascades. It's obviously an area of interest. And there are at least three more years of intense research happening with the current grant that I'm part of. So I, I am not abandoning the North Cascades at all. And some of what I'll be doing this spring and summer and fall will be, you know, tied to the, what I learned about the North Cascades and continuing to learn. But I think the other thing I want to do before we quit this radio episode is to let you know that I, I want to go back to other kinds of videos, whether they're live or pre-recorded, in the coming months. And some of that is much less intense. It's much, much less complicated. It's much more recent geology. And let's be honest, a lot of people like geology only because of the Ice Age floods, let's say. And they like the Ice Age floods because it's, that, all, that all happened yesterday. Hell, people were living here during the Ice Age floods, Native Americans I'm talking about, of course. And so they're like, I can't handle stuff that happened 55 million years ago. What are you talking about? Ocean plates that whatever? I just want to look up this valley and visualize a bunch of water coming down it. <laughs> I can do that. This is you talking. And I can do that if we're talking about something that happened, you know, 12,000 years ago or whatever. So I mentally am leaving the structured world of YouTube live streams. That won't start again till November. 
But in the next eight months, I have a a variety pack, I guess, uh, in mind. And let me just kind of uh, spend the last few minutes here giving you a sense of what I have up my sleeve. And most of it is not fully formed in my brain, but I'm... Um, I'm starting to, to carefully think about the directions I want to go. I like this Native American stuff, and Randy Lewis is still with us after suffering a serious stroke back in October. So he has apparently regained most of his abilities. Uh, I'm not totally sure until I get a chance to visit with him this month. Um, but I want to for sure do more things with Randy. Those will almost certainly be pre-recorded videos as I drive around with Randy, hopefully. Uh, or if that's not possible for him, just visiting with him in a city park or something in Wenatchee. I don't know, but I want to I do more with him, possibly do more with some of his relatives. I've been hearing from a few other tribal members who are following what I'm doing now, and you know, I, I want to make sure that Anyway, there might be more Native American stuff beyond what I do with Randy uh, in the next few months. Ice Age Floods, there was a bunch of new research done and published last fall. I think I want to take those field guides and follow and go to some of those spots. Those just might be just me, you know, learning and reading and kind of filming as I go. Um, I like the long-form interview business with people in the flesh who maybe were not up to joining us live during the alphabet series for whatever reason. Uh, they have a personality that doesn't work with <laughs> a quick back and forth spontaneous thing, or they're old enough where they're not comfortable using the technology, or their expertise has nothing to do with the North Cascades. So I have some people in mind where I'm going to just visit them in their backyard and uh, just turn the camera on and just have a conversation and have it be like an hour conversation. But I'm going to choose people that I think will be uh, interesting to folks. I think maybe soon I'm going to start live streaming the pop-up events. So you're like, wait a minute, I thought you said you're not doing live stream stuff anymore. Well, I'm not on a, on a schedule, but you may remember that last summer and fall, I was experimenting with something called pop-up geology, where I announced 48 hours in advance on my YouTube channel, a date, a time, and a specific location, and say, hey, you know, if you're free, come on out. It's free. It's open to anybody, and we'll just do a little uh, uh, live lecture. And I have some places in mind. Some of them I'm not sure there's good coverage, cell coverage, and I'm not yet equipped to work with. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you this, actually. This is kind of fun. This is how we'll finish, actually. So I, is it Mike? I think it's Mike. Started getting emails. I'll just call him Mike. I'm not totally sure that's the name. Sorry if you hear this. I think it's Mike uh, over in uh, the Seattle area a couple of years ago, really. Or maybe it was just last year. I forget. Sometime during the pandemic, he emailed and said, um, boy, I like this live thing you're doing from the field. 
but I know that you're limited with the cell coverage that you have using um, Verizon. And that's true. Like when I pick a, a live broadcasting place out in the field, even if it's out in the boonies, I got to make sure I have a minimum of three bars of coverage on my little iPhone 11. And I, I like the live part of it. So Mike, quote unquote, uh, from Seattle says, uh, my neighbor works for, I'm going to screw it up now, but uh, SpaceX or Starlink, or is that the same thing? I don't know. Is it founded by Elon Musk? I have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, Mike, quote unquote, from Seattle, uh, took the time to drive over and visit with me last summer to talk about these details about his neighbor. It's all like talking over the backyard fence to his neighbor. And apparently, things are getting closer and closer to reality with using these Starlink satellites. I'm hesitating because I don't really know what I'm talking about. But it's to the point where I've actually paid. I've, I've I paid. I put I put I put money down to be part of this new um, collection of satellites. And as I understand it, it's a whole new um, way to broadcast, or at least basically. What am I trying to say? Do you know more about this than I do? Probably. I think what I'm understanding, boy, talk about a moron, just talking without knowing anything. Well, that hasn't stopped me before. Apparently, there's something close to officially happening where you can use a cell phone anywhere in the world, and it's a strong signal everywhere. And apparently, this is coming sooner than I realized to the point where I've paid my $100 for this coming year so that I can be like one of the first to start using this technology using my phone. I have no idea if that's going to happen in the next year or five years, but I thought it was worth, Mike said, yeah, I think I think we're close. I think you should pay your 100 bucks." And as I, just, I say that out loud, you're like, oh my God, what is this guy? <laughs> you are so gullible. I don't know. It's important to me because I want to be able to live stream wherever I am. And I'm not able to do that now. And possibly I'll be able to use this new system as soon as this summer. Who knows? Regardless, I'm going to do these pop-up events. I'm guessing, I can't predict, but I'm guessing that I'll, I'll be charged by this. And that I'll be missing an audience, <laughs> if I'm totally honest. And so if the weather's nice and the wind is down and I have a couple of good pop-up sessions, whether they're live or not, I'll record them at least and post them on my YouTube channel. And my hunch is that it'll be just such a good thing that I'll just, I'll just keep rolling with those. I can't say how many there'll be, but I, especially in spring, it's such a magical time of the year anyway. Plus, everybody's emerging from winter. Plus, apparently, we're emerging from the pandemic. Uh, there might be a bunch of these live events scattered throughout the Pacific Northwest this spring. So if that sounds appealing to you and you live in the Pacific Northwest and you might even want to attend one of these things, um, the only, the only way that I'm communicating this really is through my YouTube channel. So I don't know if you're subscribed to my YouTube channel. 
Sounds like I'm selling you something. I'm not. It's free. You just click on the word subscribe at, uh, at my YouTube channel. It's just called Nick Zentner. And if you not only subscribe, but then hit the bell icon or whatever, there's ways that you can be notified when a new video is posted. And I only mention that because <coughs> these pop-up events are announced 48 hours in advance. <coughs> Excuse me. 48 hours in advance, and you're like, that's ridiculous. Well, it's all weather-dependent. It's all weather-dependent. So I feel like that's enough lead time, and there'll be a mix of weekend days and weekdays and mornings and afternoons. You know, I think of the, you know, angle of the sun. I think of the weather conditions. I think of a number of things along those lines. And then I strike while it's in my mind. It's kind of spontaneous, and I like working that way. And so if it sounds like fun to go to one of those events, these pop-up geology events, they might soon as they might start as soon as next week. I really don't know. Um, that would be the way to catch wind of one of these happening. Like you'd see a short announcement video and then <clears throat> you'd take a day off of work or whatever, uh, or you'd uh, just plan to, to join us out in the field. And it's a mixture of uh, remote places and accessible places, a mixture of desert places and mountain places, a mixture of weekend and weekdays, everything else in between. So I'm going to, from this point on, now that I've just kind of wrapped up mentally, thinking back to the winter, um, a variety of pre-recorded videos and also some live videos happening this summer and spring, and fall. I think that's enough for today. Starting to get a frog in my throat for whatever reason. Dear listener, thank you for making it to the end of this one. I sincerely hope that all is well in your world and that we meet someplace down the road. Thank you. I love you. And goodbye. <laughs>